Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Colquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of songwriters who share a serious dedication to the craft, a slightly sardonic outlook on life, and deep, incredible catalogs. Neil Hannon and Ben Folds. Neil Hannon is from Northern Ireland, and it's safe to say that he and the band he's fronted for the past 30 years, The Divine Comedy, are a bit better known in Europe than they are in the States. Under The Divine Comedy name, Hannon has released a dozen delightfully clever albums, the latest of which is 2019's Office Politics. If you're a newbie and that seems like far too much catalog to catch up on, you're in luck. Just this year, The Divine Comedy released a fantastic greatest hits set called Charmed Life. Hannon has also kept himself busy over the years writing an opera of sorts, as well as composing the theme songs to two beloved British sitcoms, The IT Crowd and Father Ted. The latter show comes up at the beginning of this conversation. Another thing you'll hear Hannon reference in this chat is Wonka money. He's referring to the fact that he's composing the music for the upcoming Willy Wonka movie starring Timothy Chalamet. Not too shabby. Here's a little bit of the Divine Comedy's The Best Mistake. I've thumbed the dogged pages of my paperback life, reread confusing passages that never worked out right. All the models and miscommunications that landed me here. Ben Folds, as you'll hear in this conversation, is a huge fan of Hannon and his music. They've played together in the past, and they plan to again. You'll even hear them chatting about an orchestral series of concerts that Folds helps produce at the Kennedy Center. Folds, of course, is the piano-playing maestro who led the Ben Folds Five during the 90s, then struck out on his own for a vastly varied career. In addition to more pop-oriented albums, he's collaborated with everyone from William Shatner to Weird Al, he's written a piano concerto for the Nashville Symphony, released a well-received memoir, and started a podcast in which he interviews interesting folks from various walks of life. Another guest who makes us all feel lazy. Damn it, Folds! In this chat, the old friends were in vastly different time zones. Hannon in Ireland and Folds in Australia, the former ready for bed and the latter just waking up. They talk about their admiration for each other and how they don't really understand current pop music because they know they're not supposed to. They talk about the downsides of Pro Tools and the upsides of the pandemic. And you get to hear Ben Folds say the phrase, getting on fucking talk house and kissing ass, which made my week. Enjoy. I know we probably brought this up several times, but it always blows me away that we were in Austin, Texas, and this massive cab driver picked us up. I feel like the cab was going down the road sort of at a tilt from this guy's size, this massive redneck. And he picked up Neil's accent, and he's like, oh, you're not from around here. And we're like, oh, great. Turns out he was a huge fan of Father Ted. (laughs) He was probably the only Father Ted fan in Texas. Texas is pretty big. I can vouch for that, having uh, followed you around the entire country. 
Yeah, that was an extraordinary moment. But he was very sweet. He seemed to know a lot about all British comedy, really. Yeah. It was nice that uh, he should think that I was some kind of a big deal. <laughs> and, and thanks to you in the front for going, hey, you know, this guy wrote the theme tune. <laughs> now, he was thrilled about that, but that's just wild to me. That's what I always find about the South, though. As soon as you think you have it figured out, it's not what you think it is. That said, I'm not rushing to move to Texas anytime soon. Uh, speaking of geography, here in Australia, have you been there all the time, or have you have you just got there? No, went back to the states, did some touring. Got to go back and uh, do a little more touring, and then make an album in May. Wow! Then uh, got a kids' show to film for a couple months. A kids' show? Yeah. What? How does how does that work? What's that about? Well, it's just sort of educational. It's teaching them how to cuss. So uh, the show is called Bitches Ain't Shit. And it's, uh, you know, it's about, <laughs> it teaches them the importance. I feel you're pulling my chain. <laughs> you're yanking my chain. <laughs> um, it's writing songs. I don't know how much of an NDA I'm actually under, but it's cool. We start filming and it's some top secret shit. <laughs> Congratulations on a 24 CD set of your stuff the box jesus set. christ you've made that much yeah. stuff no well i mean 24 discs uh that equals you know 12 albums and extra cds you know right uh, so still not 24 albums you know this is like some ray charles shit i've always been known as the ray charles of uh kildare basically the pandemic coincided with you know the 30th anniversary of the divine comedy I don't like to say that the pandemic was convenient for me, you know, that's not good. But it certainly gave us time to uh, sort of go on a huge nostalgia fest. I wrote copious notes for every album, you know, had about half a book's worth at the end of it all. And um, yeah, now we're doing the best of. Another best of. <laughs> How yeah. many best ofs have you had? Um, one, I guess. It's a best of off. It wasn't really a best of. It was sort of a retrospective where I just was able to put the stuff I thought was worth going up in a spaceship, sort of like if I had to send a you know a couple discs up that 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 pretty much covered it. The rest of it's garbage. <laughs> no. No, no. But and then there was sort of a um a box set thing like what you just did, but I think it was like two CDs on that too. I don't know. You just do a lot. As a, I like you just like your last two records. Both of them came out. I was excited on one hand, and then on the other hand, I'm like, God damn it, I haven't done anything at all. Because well, I, I compared my... You shouldn't compare yourself to others, but I did it. And they're good records, too. Well, I am constantly comparing myself to you and your <laughs> terrific output. You know, I'm thinking... God damn it, why can't my record sound like that? <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? Oh, when... yeah, isn't that funny? No, I've always thought the other way. Yeah, I guess this is talk house. So, and we're talking. So we're talking, and it's such a weird conversation because you've got that slight sort of bedhead, you know, early morning <laughs> vibe, and I've got this deathly pallor of trying to stay awake, <laughs> and uh, with a glass of sherry in my hand. Oh man, we're, see, we're completely different ends of the spectrum. That is such a different end, man. It's like I spent a lot of the. Uh, pandemic just doing things that maybe i'd wanted to do for a while one of them was a it's not that i wanted to do a podcast it's that i wanted to talk to all different sorts of you know anthropologists 
marine biologists, musicians, politicians, just about making things, just about creativity in general. And uh, so I was running this podcast and I didn't think about the sort of the Dick Clark side of it, you know, where you have to become a some kind of radio personality. And um, it's real hard to do in the morning. Like the first thing I wake up, I'm talking to people who've been warmed up all day long and I get on with my bedhead and I try to try to be on the same page with someone who's had a day and I haven't. And it's weird. You're a radio personality now. <laughs> I just retired. I did one year of this. Have you ever thought of retiring? Has it ever crossed your mind? It certainly crossed mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The problem is, is what would that be? What does that mean? I mean, we go get our, our pension and we turn in our, our pink slip or whatever that's called to go talk to human resources and tell them our plan. I mean, I, I, that, that doesn't work for us. I'm only sort of putting it out there as like a hypothesis, uh, like could, could people like us? You're planting the seed. Every now and again, you know, when you're really in the thick of like promo you know, like yeah. something that is not really the end of the job that you enjoy the most. And it's just like, I wonder if I'll retire one day, yeah. you know, just like put an end to it all. And you just sit on like a veranda, mm. uh, like with and read the paper for the rest of your life. I think that's the question is, what do you do? What do you do with your time? And you make a thing. Yeah. And if you make a thing, then you either make, I guess you either make a decision to do what we're trained to do, which is to try to litter the planet with it. That means hopping on planes, buses, cars, getting on fucking talk house and kissing ass and all the stuff that you got to do in order to, you know, get it out there to hoe it. But I think that would be the question would be, could you make stuff and just sit on it? Oh, no, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, you know, if I ever make anything, I, I instantly think it's the greatest thing that, you know, the planet needs to hear all of this. I mean, that's I think that's kind of cool. At what point do you start to either doubt or hate what you've done? Well, the moment of purest satisfaction is when you've just written it and nobody else in the world has ever heard this song, you know, and you think... Like, I am the only critic here, and I think it's brilliant, you know? <laughs> right. So that's that's the perfect moment for me. And then with me, recording is kind of gradually sort of making it worse, generally. Yeah, and, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And somehow make, putting it into a palatable form for the rest of the universe. Yeah. You've always been really good at, how do I put this? It's like, first of all, I think you're just one of the best living songwriters. Actually, just songwriters, period. Forget the living part. You're so good and so unique. And then you're good at dress up. Like, I think the tough thing about putting records out, I don't ever have a problem with the writing of my songs. I really don't. Like, I listen to them. I'm like, yeah, that's that's fine. But what they're wearing to the party, like how they were dressed up in the studio or how they're dressed up and presented, I'll never know if that's any good. Like, no idea. But you don't mind. Well, first of all, I can't let, <laughs> it's going to sound corny, but I have to now say that, you know, you're one of the best living songwriters, no, you know, no. <laughs> I do, because it's true. And I, I can't let you just say that to me and people think, <laughs> oh, oh, he's just taken that, <laughs> not giving it back. <laughs> but at least we both mean it. So that's nice. You know, it's you know, true. The dressing up, I do too much of it, you know, both literally and figuratively. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. I dressed up as Napoleon a couple of albums ago mm, yeah. for the entire tour. It's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh man! But I've seen you with that like sort of culty choir orchestra video vibe. What was that one? Uh, oh yeah, it's like enormous sort of like what's that that band which is just like the, an enormous choir with oh Rose Polyphonic Spree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it looked a bit like that to me. Yeah, but, you know, bet with a better song. Yeah, there's insider baseball stories behind that that would bore anyone outside of the talk house. But yeah, I mean, it's basically like the label had a budget to come down and do sort of this making of business at my studio. And when they got there, I realized they didn't really have a directive. They were supposed to film this making of stuff and I'd actually finished the record. I didn't want them in my space. So I think I told them I'm recording the record next month. I've really gotten a lot, uh, a lot uh, nicer since then. I wouldn't do that now. But I, um, they, they all came down and were going to film stuff. So I basically hijacked it to do things like make videos. Excellent. And I wasn't happy with the recording of this song called Cologne. I just didn't didn't have any like life or air around it. In my opinion, people like it, but I didn't like it at all. And uh, so I recorded a, a makeshift song that was a version which was like as if it were eight pianos overdubbed, which it was. And then me and my band just sang a fake choir. And so when they came down there, I wanted to make it a video. And then in order to make it a video, I realized we had this director down there. It was Danish. And I said, why don't you make this like, we'll make this like it's a, one of those terrible European take themselves too seriously shows with dry ice and stuff. And, you know, the babysitter dressed up like a cat and stuff. So we just spent all their money on that. But I like that version better than the album. <laughs> it's a very good song. I love it. I got asked by, you know, uh, the BBC in, the, in Northern Ireland to do a, a documentary about me, you know, and it was obviously going to be one of those ones where they interview me and then show a song and then interview me, show a song. And mm -hmm. it's just so tedious. So basically I said, I'm going to write the script for, for your show. <laughs> so it ended up like we filmed it in a big country house and it was like, welcome to my mind palace. I just made up this kind of crazy, like the prisoner, you know, 60s show uh, vibe when I wore lots of crazy clothes and sort of uh, showed them sort of objects from my life and, you know, interwoven with the music. But it wasn't fraudulent. It, like, you, it was a real life. I, I wasn't making it up. I was just, like, caricaturing certain elements. But that's what I respect and love about the way you present, because the songs are one thing, and then there's an overlay of theater on top of it, which keeps it from taking itself too dead seriously, but that makes me take it more seriously, if that makes any sense. Hmm. No, that makes no sense at all, but thank you. <laughs> Really? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's, uh, if you say so. I mean, I really do feel like I lay it on too thick sometimes, and it's all that sort of Scott Walker uh, 60s orchestral yeah. thing that, that I love so much. No, but I think that's in your genes. I think that's ingrained. I don't listen to your music and go, oh, shit, that's, that's you know, budget Scott Walker or anything like that. It stands for some element of the 60s that we should have kept. Yeah, maybe. Certainly that I feel we should have kept, but yeah. you know, that's, you know, that was long ago when we were boys, you know, it is kind of alarming now to think that in the eighties, you know, we were only 15 years away from the sixties. 
I mean, you you look at the music these days, pop music, and you think, well, that bears no relation to anything I understand. And but it's obvious why, because we're just old, <laughs> you know. Mm. And uh, you know, rock and roll doesn't really exist uh, anymore, you know, uh, because you know why should it? Things change. Yeah. Well. And there's so many babies and bathwaters and all that, you know, it's, it's like there's certain things about the best new music that has all the basics that make a good rock and roll song that are all the basics that make a good Beethoven piano sonata, in my opinion, or make a good movie. The difference is, is I think that new music, rock and roll, pop music is for the mating age. Mm. It's music to mate to. So once you've once you've procreated, you have sequenced yourself out of the algorithm. So it's not going to, it's not going. I mean, you can act like you like it and try to be try to be cool. Uh, but that's like me trying to like Romper Room, which is a show on the Teletubbies. I, I like Teletubbies yeah. about the same as I like the shit that I hear on Spotify. You know, it's like, oh, that's really good <laughs> at that, but it's for children. I mean, every now and again I do hear something and I think you know, uh, that's got some kind of the spunk, <laughs> for mm. want of a better term. I feel like, you know, when I was a teenager, pop music just was more kind of balls out, kind of mm. really uh, sort of in your face. Yeah. And today's version seems rather sort of timid to me because the world is a, a very sort of weird and confusing and uh, sort of uh, doomed place at the moment and they're just reflecting that you know well i think it's also and this isn't necessarily political correctness at all or that is probably more of a offspin of a trend over our lives which is show less show less express less (laughs) and then there are certain given things that are not as risky and when i say uh, when i say i mean the, the world is a risky place like, like it's risky to show the wrong kind of vulnerability or the wrong kind of uh, weakness or, or, or opinion. Hmm. I think you can almost go back to the 80s and, and see videos, more successful videos. I just take someone like Madonna where suddenly what's attractive is like this dead behind the eyes look. Like the eyes never give you any anything. And I think that's just, we, we just keep going that way. I don't see kids in pop music right now opening up that much if they open up it's in a prescribed way like that you can be vulnerable that way that's vulnerable with a trademark over it that's okay and i don't blame them yeah. for it like the oh god i'm such a mess right now that lyric yeah. <laughs> you know it's like uh that's allowed yeah but right. there's also that individuality but it's a sort of prescribed individuality of like i fit into this kind of club yeah you know? When you're communicating with a song, you, you there are obviously the two parties, this person singing and the person listening to it, and a breakdown in that communication is equal fault, you know, of both. So if you're a good communicator, you don't want to put out there something that can be misinterpreted. There are two teams in America, political, social, everything. And if you say something that might might prescribe to a middle ground or or might just have nothing to do with either one of them and you haven't chosen then you could and, and there, it's so so encoded with everything mm. it's like the color you like the way it's 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 very weird to me and i actually think yes. that makes it tough to make music there's so many insanely 
talented kids. I mean, they learned on YouTube and stuff, you know, they're so good. They know shit. Took us a whole lifetime to figure out how someone did something. Now you just click around till you find some kid with headphones on somewhere in the, in the woods that's going to tell you how to do it. They've never had it so good and so bad at the same time. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. What are you working on now? Are you, are you in making things mode at all or are you promoting things? No, it's like this magical time where we're actually going to go on tour, you know? <laughs> uh, I can't believe it, finally. Because this tour that we're about to start has been only, you know, put back a year. But yeah. the ones we're doing in September, in uh, we're playing all of the albums <laughs> over five nights in the Barbican in London. Oh. And that that has been, you know, put back two years now. Right. So I personally, I've never felt this way about touring before. I've, I'm desperate to get out there. I can't wait. It's going to be fucking great. Oh, that's <laughs> you know? cool. And, you know, f- when, you, when you've done the half century bit, it's, you... You, you have got a bit jaded, so maybe this enforced break is good for me, you know? Yeah. I guess I should have known you weren't really working on anything. I see, like, sticking out of your ear is a mic stand with no mic in it. <laughs> your right ear. It's kind of sad. The mic stands nowhere. Well, it's because the mic in my studio is here in front of me. <laughs> like, how are you making your, your records? Like, the Office record, was that made a lot of it in your house? Too much of it, yeah. Yeah, that's the trouble with having bloody Pro Tools right mm. here. Hey, I just wanted to back up and not moan about the kids making uh, their their new music and, and for us to sound like a couple of old jaded assholes. Well, I was conscious of that too, yeah. Because yeah, it's 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 real easy to do. I think that just to sum that up so that the main quote off of our conversation isn't, you know, frump and grump talk about the terrible music is that it isn't just not rock and roll has never been for 50 year olds. So it's just out of respect. I'm like, that shit sucks. 
And that's out of respect because because that's a compliment. <laughs> that's like a high compliment coming from me. It's just noise. They gyrate their hips. They sing all these <laughs> these scary drug things. Yeah. No, I would like to uh, join you in saying that uh, the kids are absolutely welcome to make very melancholic electro if they so wish. Totally. There's a few bands around uh, last year, you know, that are really kind of indie in the way I like. Uh, Like there's a band called Dry Cleaning, which is just kind of this kind of really rhythmy kind of guitar indie uh, with this girl sort of relating it sounds like shopping lists over the top of it you know just sort of this random poetry oh that sounds fun Uh, you begin thinking this is silly and then after a while it becomes really affecting so uh there is good stuff out there i think uh i'm probably just not cool enough to know where it is did you see all get back the beatles thing no, I haven't. No, no I don't blame you for not watching it. I mean, I've always resisted that. <laughs> I style. would like to one day. It's one for the tour bus. Yeah, no, it's kind of addictive. But one thing about about it that I thought was really neat and, and charming, I don't know if it's more of an English thing or 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 what, but like they would they were playing on the roof and they were interviewing all these people down below on the street. Like, what do you think of that? And you'd even have like sixty five year old, seventy year old lady going, "Oh, that's the Beatles." Ah, and they're like, yeah. do you like it? Oh, I think it's very nice music. I think I saw a clip of that and there was like some old toothless guy from the post office going, well, I don't think it should be allowed up on the roof. It seems dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool too. Um, but uh, I-, I will watch it. It sounds really fascinating, you know, the sort of uh, the-, the real kind of inner workings of a band and i've never had a proper band i mean uh, benfold's five how much of a band was that well i think it's very much a band i think we were like one of the last where if you were familiar with you know if like if you if you knew enough you could just press play and before the third beat came up you go oh that's that band because you hear it <laughs> in the chemistry you hear it in the drummer it's like you know you too it's like yeah. In in two seconds, you knew who you they were. You were very much like you two. We, I think that's what I'm kind of trying to say is that, uh, and, and the influence that, that we've had on that band was, was, was <laughs> yeah. obvious. But, but I mean, you know, like REM, like they play for a second and you're like, you know who the band is. I hear like sort of newer, quote, indie bands, like you were saying about dry cleaning. But, but I, I, I'm going to listen to dry cleaning. And I, I'm curious if I would ever get familiar with them to the point where I was listening to another band and knew the difference when it started before the, before the chick comes in with her laundry list. (laughs) It's important to see how their second album sounds. I was listening to the Eurythmics first album the other day. Uh, I don't know why, because I'd never heard it before. Mm. It was like, uh, Oh, I see. So they were kind, they started in very much that sort of slightly chorusy guitar, early cure sound. Mm. But you can hear the sort of electronica sort of coming in. So the first album is never enough, you know. You need to hear how these people, you know, work out. Uh, It's been a problem for many decades now, bands being forced to sort of be fully formed out of the gate. And uh, they can't be. Well, I guess my point is, is there's actually an organic chemistry to a band of uh, former eras. Uh, And some of that's because you don't have extensive editing and 
there's not a method to get there. I mean, what's the method yeah. to get to, to the sound of Queen? Well, I don't know. You overlay a lot of vocals and the guy plays with a nickel on his dad's guitar they made in shop. I mean, it's too weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, how could these this sort of miracle of sound occur? It's just like very, very excellent musicians, you know, and Freddie Mercury was an excellent musician apart from an incredible vocalist. Just... He seemed to innately know, I know opera, <laughs> you know, like Keanu in The Matrix. <laughs> I was listening the other night just through various new music just for just for fun. And the, the stuff that is really breaking the law is still kind of in the electronic domain. And the phrasing, this one guy, he's got some song called something like, I'm in Texas soon, you want to hang or talk? I think that's the name of the song. It was good. Like it's, and it's so insane. If you're going to do it, there's something really great about going off the deep end, but I don't think anyone's going to get too terribly organic with the instrument. One thing I really like about your, uh, I keep calling it the office album. Uh, office politics. <laughs> office politics. It does sound yeah. like a lot of it was recorded at home in the best way because it, you know, the character of whatever's going on there in your walls, in your place. I don't know how to record. I just pressed record, you know, and yeah. wherever the mic happened to be. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. But it all came to the studio in the end, and, you know, it didn't sound good enough until it did go into a proper studio. Right. I've got that old barn out there that I keep meaning to turn into a studio, and I'm going to do it with my Wonka money. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> with my chocolate money and and I'm going to I feel like I'm going to put the sort of the Mac and the Pro Tools like under a big curtain and I'm going to get some tape machines like in a little mixer yeah. and just go I know it sounds ridiculous and it's mm. just like it's sad clutching at straws you know but basically I feel like when we started making records it was on tape and you couldn't even the thing that drives me nuts is you can see the music now. You're always looking at the music on the mm -hmm. screen. And I feel like I don't listen to it hard enough, you know? And mm -hmm. Back in the old days, there was nothing to look at. So you just saw the music That's in right. your head, you know? How about when you realize when, when you're shown on the little, you know, the, the little tapered turd graph that <laughs> yeah. goes on, when you're shown how you're ahead and behind the the, gri the grid that gives me nightmares and psychosis hmm. but you know what i love about your music is that you've got such amazing rhythm that you allow yourself to keep the kind of the moving in and out of time you yeah. know in there because that's part of the groove but i am so horribly northern irish and white that i have no groove <laughs> no innate groove so i'm always sort of looking at these beats and going oh if i just push that one this way it's a complete wormhole that one should never go down we are conditioned now to a grid and we're conditioned to perfect tune i mean a, a musician friend of mine in nashville who had seen the beatles documentary what he walked away with was tuning he was like it's so amazing everything was so out of tune which allowed this wider net that you That's could sing so it so when you're singing and you're allowed the expressive mm -hmm. you know out of tuneness but now it's like when a when a track is a bed is so rigid i think it's had an effect on you know me constantly listening to all these tuned vocals yeah and it, and they even even when they're singing without 
a tuning machine. Uh, they sound like they've got a tuning machine on them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the pressure now with doing vocals on a record mm-hmm. to actually have them really perfectly in tune, where I never really did before. Bob Dylan's a good example. Early, early Bob Dylan records, you imagine him sitting on the floor of that, you know, Columbia studio with a guitar and a and a old tube microphone and just singing the stuff. It's pretty in tune. You know, it's well, like it's it's like yeah. because because that was the no one was making records where that was an option. And I it's funny because by the time you get to the 80s, if you listen to some lots of different 80s music in uh, music in a cab or something, which is the only place I'm ever gonna listen to that shit. And so many of them are so out of tune. I mean, the Smiths is an example mm. that's constantly flat and it's interesting, but they were with, the shit was not flat in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Things like Spandau and Duran Duran and uh, ABC, there's so much sort of drama going on in the vocal that yes, quite a lot of it is a little tuny. Um, yeah. I have muscle bound from Spandau Ballet on my exercise playlist. For I, I got this cross trainer because I'm getting freaked out about my little tummy, you know, which is yeah. emerging. All the songs are from the 80s that seem to be in the right tempo. It's like Sledgehammer, Peter Gabriel, uh, Life's What You Make It, Talk Talk, uh, uh, Muscle Bound, you know, all of these true. great songs. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, True would be far too fast. I'd have a heart attack if I tried that. <laughs> so you're not, let's get physical's not on your list. Oh, let's get physical. Yeah, Olivia Newton John. That's too yeah. fast, though. Let's get physical. Uh, that might have an asthma attack happening. Physical, God, gotta get physical. Like so let's oh. let let me hear your body talk. Your body talk. Let me hear your body talk. That's pretty cool. That's like. <laughs> oh, you should do a cover of that. That would really suit your style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've got important like phone calls in fifteen minutes. Yeah, God damn it. could talk about this crap all night. They talk. <laughs> they call that a hard out. That cracks me up. <laughs> Holes has got a hard out. Ten fifteen. How's um? What was it after AFTA? Americans for the Arts. That's right. Yeah, you're doing good work. Yeah, have a new fearless leader now, and um, doing that stuff. Spent you know a lot of time over the. Last maybe five or six years at the Kennedy Center doing, I wanted to get you over to do an orchestra show. You proclaimed you weren't setting foot on American soil while that orange (laughs) bastard was in the White House. Um, Thank you for quoting me correctly. Uh, But he's gone now, uh, never to return, obviously. And then there was a slight issue with, you know, um, viruses. But I'm ready now. What we have to do is figure out, because you've got an, a lot of experience with orchestration, is is find a place that is something that you haven't done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be, you know, uh, I've got a commission or two mm-hmm. happening over this side. Maybe, you know, there's room for uh, bringing it uh, somewhere else. Have you done orchestra gigs where there was no, uh, there weren't real drugs? Excuse my ignorance, but we've done a million things over the last 10 years, and you probably have. 
with no drum set, no no bass, no electric instruments at all, just you uh, standing in front of the orchestra? I've only done that a couple of times. It was mostly the, uh, you know, RTE concert orchestra in Dublin. Uh, they have you in to do a sort of a session. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was no band. It was just like the orchestra. And, but I generally take the opportunity to do, you know, if you go away on a summer's day <laughs> and things like that, you know, live my uh, Scott dreams. <laughs> But yeah, we did a few uh, uh, of my songs as well, and they work really well like that. Yeah, I would think so. You know, because the thing is, the orchestra is allowed to be the orchestra when they're not infiltrated by plexiglass earbuds. You know what I mean? I know, and I've done I've done that as well. You know, yeah, me too. In fact, um, and um, it's very different, and it's. Very annoying, I think. (laughs) I think it's annoying for everyone. The orchestra grooves really, really well by itself. And as soon as they can't hear, tune, they're using the ears in a different way and they're demoralized and and they they don't really play that well. But if you just do straight orchestration, then because that's a little bit of a, a lost art, the modern orchestrators can orchestrate things which can't be played in time easily. You have to mm. kind of go back to some Shostakovich and Stravinsky to make the thing rock and make sure that the sections are in, in alignment and doing the, the, the articulations that make sense for them. And it doesn't groove from the, from the percussion. That's our big mistake. Mm. Rockers want to try to orchestrate percussion like it's anything but punctuation and it's not the groove it's in the back of the room it's so rare that you actually have percussion in an orchestral piece yeah that is holding down a beat or a groove never it's there to sort of add a kind of a exclamation mark or right. like a su- subtle kind of sound so maybe we get you to the kennedy center and do something in that space what i've gotten worked out there is sort of a three-day thing as opposed to everything happens at once. And I usually am allowed to fly the orchestrators in and we all sit out front after the first rehearsal. And the next day with the conductor and the, and the orchestrators is all revision in a hotel room. And then when we get back to the dress rehearsal, we've got something that can keep up. No, it sounds amazing. Uh, and do you take photographs to make us look like Leonard Bernstein and things like that. Uh, I, I'm going to have to get my wardrobe sorted out for this, you know. Keep up with Lenny. You've got to, your suits have to fit. So uh, what's next for you? I got to talk to William Shatner when we get off of this. He went up into the edge of space in a corporate aircraft. I know. And we are going to talk about making some music to his experience to perform at the Kennedy Center for Earth Day. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be pretty neat. It's a funny thing. Like he and I have, because we've recorded together before, mm. we, we fall right back into our old work patterns. And he sent me his poetry and, and it's good. Like, because he really does have, he, he, he's 90 years old. He's got these, this incredible perspective and this incredible, earnest, old school, almost, almost like there once was a man from Nantucket kind of rhyme scheme. <laughs> and, um, you know, he got right off the spacecraft. He walked out of the fucking beer can at nine years old, having gone to the edge of space. And, you know, we get off, off stage. I don't know about you, but someone usually gives me a bottle of water and a towel. Yeah. No, no, uh. no such courtesy for, for William Shatner. He, Stepped off the spacecraft and there's just a bunch of girls like popping 
uh, champagne corks and people with like camera phones and no one even took his pulse. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 I mean, they didn't have that together for, for him, but he started talking. I'm pleased for him going to space. Amazing. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it myself. I really have a problem with these billionaires. <laughs> you know? No, no, and I wouldn't get on that and, goddamn and their thing. phallic <laughs> rockets. If you just took some of that money to solve some of our many, many problems down here, that would be nice. Then you wouldn't anyway. have to escape from it. Well, you know, it's not that simple. I mean, you're right, but... But there have been plenty of scientific breakthroughs, which were a result of all the crumbs of money that came off of the excitement of these things that you learned to help Earth out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm with you. No, but, I know, but I know that, but I want you to just agree that they're bastards. And <laughs> I agree with that. I, I think I've, I feel like if you've got more money than Zimbabwe, there must be something more sort of nuts and bolts make people's lives better mm. you know, that you could do with all that cash. No, no, I think you're right. I think the sentiment is right. I'll put it another way. I think there shouldn't be any such thing as a billionaire. Right. Because nobody needs that amount of money. I think I, I, I agree with that. And like, you can't trust people to get that fucking fat, any of us. And I think when they have the, that amount of uh, money, it's like it, you can't even fathom it and they sort of go mad. Yeah. So they can't possibly sort of use it for good because they're now mad because yeah. of all their money. And they could probably point out, well, look, I, last year, this is a tax write-off. I built 35 hospitals in Malawi. So fuck you. Like they could probably show that they do way more with, with what they've got. And for them, it's okay. But I think it's that mindset. I mean, in the first place, the idea of going to space in that way without, first of all, tending to the mess that we're making down here. Did you see that film, Don't Look Up, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio? No. It's very, very good. And it hits the nail on the head. Oh. <laughs> so I would recommend it. That's a great title. That's my top tip. Yeah. Don't Look Up. It's very good. My brain really wants to go to sleep now. <laughs> yeah, I'm good for that. Sufferific talk with bulls. That'll do it. Bedtime stories. Well, we've really enjoyed our talk house experience. Yeah. Thank you for putting us together. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Ben Folds and Neil Hannon for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.